You're listening to The Pet Factor, news on pet health, wellness, and the latest in veterinary medicine. Welcome to our next podcast. I'm Dr. Jim Hosek. I'm Brittany. And this week we're going to talk about internal parasite prevention, which is basically heartworms and intestinal parasites. Okay. So when we talk about prevention, basically we want to keep the animals from getting these infections. Right. So usually when we talk, uh, when people are getting their preventatives, they're saying they, they're getting a heartworm preventative. It's actually preventing more than just heartworms. Mm-hmm. Um, it's protecting against intestinal parasites. Some of the products out there actually protect against fleas as well. Mm-hmm. There's one for cats that also protects against ticks. There's a wide variety. I counted over 18 different preventatives that are available. So we carry two here at the clinic, and most veterinarians maybe carry two, maybe three, sometimes only yeah. one. The problem is there's not one product that fits all, so mm-hmm. you do oftentimes do have to carry more than one. They're available in oral, uh, topical, and the injectables. Injectable. So uh, and there's basically only four drugs that make up all these products. They're usually some combination of those. Some of them are different generic versions of the older ones. Like the HeartGuard, I think, has three or four different generics out there. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not as palatable for the animals because their HeartGuard has the beef flavor. No mm-hmm. one can make beef flavored ones now, apparently, so they've, they own that. They're grandfathered in. And the, the choice of this preventative really is something that you have to make with your, your veterinarian. We're going to decide the preventative based on the dog's lifestyle, what they think they can mm-hmm. take, yeah. and what, what we're most concerned about in our area. So if we have a preventative that may not be as effective against a certain parasite, then we may pick a different preventative going forward and then just routinely screen for those other parasites and treat them as needed. Going and, and, and finding your products online, we don't recommend that at all. No. We'll talk about that a little bit more, but it's just your veterinarian is going to be the, you go to them for everything else. They're the source for what preventative is good for you. We're not going to talk about any specific products that we think are better than others. They're all excellent products. They all prevent heartworms. They all prevent the intestinal parasites that they do. It really is going to depend on what works best and what yeah. the veterinarians are comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times a veterinarian is used to using a product. They're, they know it's effective. Um, they know that the clients are complying with it. They're going to stick with that. Heartworm prevention, the, the once-a-month ones, are designed to kill the parasites before they reach the L4 stage, which is a, a sort of a juvenile stage, and then they're resistant to a lot of the preventives at that point. And then from then on, the only chance you have to kill them is when they're adults in the heart, and then it requires the arsenic compounds. Mm-hmm. There's a 45-day, 42-day window where they're susceptible to these preventatives after they're bitten by a mosquito. But so, then we usually do about every 30. Yeah, we, we'll do every 30 mm-hmm. days. You have that. If you're a few days late, you're going to be okay. If mm-hmm. you're more than two weeks later, you miss a month, then there's a window when your pet can get that parasite in there. Yeah. So for people who are not really good at doing once a month or skipping doses, we're going to definitely recommend the injectable. Injectables um, are awesome. There are some pets that just love those treats. They love them every month. If we were to take them away from them, they would, they would <laughs> be burned down our clinic. So um, that's why we like to carry those. Some are, are okay for younger animals. Some can only be given to older animals. Yeah. Um, so it really depends on the situation. Now, with the intestinal parasites, uh, these products are usually designed to kill any of the adult parasites that have gotten into their system mm-hmm. and are producing eggs or, or close to be producing eggs. They're not really very good at the immature uh, stages of the parasites. I think the injectables are better at that than the the once a month. 
Um, but we'll get more data as we use them more and see how things mm -hmm. shape out. Um, if we look at the patients that are getting injectable versus oral and seeing if what type of intestinal parasites they might be showing up with. We've been getting a lot more negative tests since we've been doing the injectable ones. So I would right. say that one. And, and the other thing I would say is that when we're talking about intestinal parasites, most of these products will guarantee their um, effectiveness against the intestinal parasites. And some of them will even guarantee it against parasites they don't even cover. Mm -hmm. So whatever uh, preventative your veterinarian picks, you can usually count on if your pet is, if you're using it every month and your pet comes up with intestinal parasites, probably it's going to be paid for by the drug yeah. company. Well, and then that's also the plus of getting your medication from the vet. Instead of online, um, most manufacturers have that guarantee with the veterinarian. If you just go online or something, you're not getting that guarantee. So who knows what you're getting? So if your pet still comes up with intestinal parasites or something... Right. You're still paying for it. Yeah, and some of the treatments. some of the companies are actually selling directly to them now, and so they will honor those guarantees. But right. you have to realize that the products may not be stored properly, mm -hmm. they may not be shipped properly, they may there may be some problems with that. So you have to be careful about that. Mm -hmm. um, you just need you want to be if you want to get the best product at the best price. Vet, buying from your veterinarian is usually going to be save, save you time and money. Mm -hmm. You don't have to go online and put the order in and wait for someone to approve it. We oftentimes have discounts and coupons that they can't get online. Yep. And the online manufacturers are limited what prices they can sell, whereas the veterinarians aren't. So we're able to oftentimes with rebates and free doses get much better deals than you get online. Mm -hmm. And that way you know the product was delivered directly to us from the manufacturer. You know yep. it's stored properly. You know it's going to mm -hmm. be effective. And you know that the, they're going to stand behind it. Um, even doing every year, um, every month testing or once a year with the injections, you still yep. need the blood test and the intestinal parasite test to screen for these. Mm -hmm. We talked a little bit about this when we were doing the parasite testing last week. But you can get uh, resistant infections, and that's what we're looking for, or if you did miss a few doses, there's that chance. You just want to make sure that you're you're in good shape and not having any problems going forward. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if you have questions about internal parasite prevention, ask your veterinarian. Trust their recommendation. They know what's best for your pet. The other thing we want to make sure is that uh, cats. cats. Uh, heartworm preventative is recommended for cats by the American Heartworm Association. Mm -hmm. We definitely, if you have an outdoor cat, we're going to say you need to have some sort of protection here. Yeah. Um, the pre one of the preventatives we use, Revolution Plus, protects against um, intestinal parasites, heartworms, fleas, and ticks. Mm -hmm. It's the only product I found, cats and dogs, that covers everything. Yeah. If you're doing dogs, you're going to have to do an external parasite preventative well with most of these to get tick coverage. Some of them have tick uh, flea coverage, but not ticks. So well, we're going to talk more about that next week, but that's an important thing to be aware of. And even if it's just an indoor cat, Sitting inside, mosquitoes get into your house, mm -hmm. and that's how it's transmitted. Well, and then cats that even sit on windowsills, you know, squirrels right. run past that or other cats or something. You know, they can get fleas through the window. Fleas are tiny. Yes. They can get through a mesh window that's not protecting your cat from everything outside. Or you, we have um, owners that just let their cats sit on the deck or the patio or something. Yeah. That is still technically outdoor. That is not a strictly indoor cat. Right. So they do still need to be on something. Yeah, I mean, they say, oh, he's just he's not outdoors, but he'll go outside and sit in the grass with us. Mm -hmm. That's, that's, that's outdoors. outside. With heartworms in cats, the most common symptom is sudden death. Yes. These parasites don't are designed to live in cats. We've talked mm -hmm. about this before with that. They they just will um, the worm dies, it causes this bad immune reaction in the cats and they come in and they're yeah. having difficulty breathing and there's not much we can do to save them at that mm -hmm. point. 
So uh, if you're uh, worried about your cat's protection, again, ask your veterinarian. They're going to have a product that they recommend that they think is good. There's no injectable long-term for the cats for fleas and yeah. ticks, uh, or for heartworms, Heart. I mean. So we're going to need to do some sort of monthly product for them. Um, so you just have to get into the, the, hand, uh, the routine of doing that. Set a reminder on your phone. You can get yeah. email reminders. There's all sorts of apps mm-hmm. that do this for you, too. But it's very important as year-round. I can tell you, since we started doing year-round intestinal parasite and heartworm prevention, we've seen the number of intestinal parasites drop by probably 80%. Oh, yeah. Um, so it's just amazing what a difference it makes and how many of these animals are getting exposed to these parasites during the wintertime when you think, oh, it's cold. Mm-hmm. They're not going to get them. They're picking them up. Yeah. Well, and then you got to think most of the times if they come in a house, even one or two, your house isn't in the negative degrees like it is right. outside. You have the heat on. That's still perfect thriving weather for fleas yes. and ticks and things like that. Right. And, and you still find bugs in your house. And uh, the worm eggs can be in potting soil. Mm-hmm. They can be in the mud that comes in on your shoes. Yep. You bring your plants in for the winter yeah. and now you brought in some type of parasite. So there, these all, in any case, in most, no, in every case, prevention is far more effective than treatment yes. and more and less uh, harmful to the animals in mm-hmm. the long run. All right, let's move on to our pet health news segment for the week. So I've got four stories that I found this week, and uh, I thought we'd go over these. Uh, two of them are really interesting about some uh, new um, potential drugs coming up down the road. One of them's coming up fairly soon. Now, this is a, uh, there's been no treatment for parvovirus other than just supportive care, uh, and now they're coming up with an antibody that can be used to actually prevent and treat parvovirus in puppies. Nice. So since the mortality is very high in puppies, um, what they're trying to do is basically treat the animals with a antibody that will bind up the virus and prevent it from causing the infection before they get infected or after they've been infected. So it'll be kind of like another just puppy vaccine that they'll be getting? Well, it's and it's mainly, I think, more designed for animals that are being um, exposed to a dog with parvovirus oh, okay. or dogs that are we suspect have parvovirus, so we want to make sure they have a good chance That's of recovering. Oh, okay. So when they did the study, the six treated dogs didn't get sick at all, okay. recovered completely um, for the ones that were exposed. The um, ones that, that weren't uh, treated all got sick. So it's a very effective treatment. They're hoping to have this out late next year, early 2021. So it's nice. still in the works. Um, and they're going to do a bigger study in 2020 that's going to help get that approval. But it's going to be a game changer for areas yeah. where parvovirus is huge. Because oh, yeah. now we'll be able to say we can give them an injection of antibodies. Mm-hmm. And this is just going into all the, the new antibody treatments that are coming out. It's just wonderful. That'll save a lot of lives. All right. Here's something that I thought was pretty neat. Um this is something good that uh, Congress has done. Um, they just basically, there was a, a procedure that the USDA would do, their Agriculture Research, Research Service would do testing on meat checking for toxoplasmosis. And this is an infection that affects lots of different animals. Cats are the definitive host. So okay. it's the only host where it completes its life cycle. So they would feed kittens raw meat and then sacrifice them to check see if they were infected with toxoplasmosis as a way yeah. of screening for it. So a couple of lawmakers in Congress, uh, Congressman Jimmy Panetta and Jeff Merkley, sponsored a bill called KITTEN. And KITTEN stands for Kittens in Traumatic Testing Ends Now. They come up with these great acronyms for these bills. <laughs> for something so horrible. Um, 
And but the I don't I don't they've just sponsored this bill, but the USDA DA has already come out and said we're we're done with this. We're not doing any more of these tests. Okay. So they're going to find other ways to, for checking for the toxoplasmosis. So I think that's really good. But it took some pressure from uh, some very caring lawmakers to to get that to happen. So appreciate and thank you for doing that. Yeah. Um, here's another clinical trial that's going to take a little bit longer to get results, but this is really kind of exciting to me. Yeah. They're testing a universal vaccine against cancer in dogs. Nice. So basically, right now when we diagnose cancer, it's surgery, chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. Um, these are the only options we have. Stimulus. There are a couple specific vaccines for specific cancers um, that are available, but they're a, a treatment, not a preventative. Mm-hmm. What they're trying to do is they're trying to uh, create a way to stimulate the immune system to create an anti-cancer response. Okay. So it's actually two injections that they're giving. There's initial vaccines two weeks apart and then the annual boosters. So the study's going to go on for five years. They're uh, using healthy dogs between 8 and 10 years of old age that are cancer-free. And then they're going to just follow out in five years because that's a good time period for that time to see if cancer is going to show up and find out what's going on if this is going to greatly decrease the incidence of cancer in dogs. I wonder if they're going to use like random breeds or like the high cancer ones, the Goldens and the Boxers. They didn't say that. Um, They're talking about, you know, um, when they started the series, there's a a Golden Setter and a Terrier mix. The Golden Setter named Trilly and Norton were the first two dogs to get this at the University of Wisconsin. Uh, David Vale is one of the professors and colleges who's doing this study. Um, They're doing it in three different vet schools. I think um, there's 200 dogs being... How many dogs here? 800 800 patients patients are going to be enrolled in it. So that's a pretty good-sized study. Yeah. And if this does work, if they're able to find a way to decrease cancer, even by 50%, it's going to be a game changer, yeah, not only for dogs, but people. Mm-hmm. And this can translate over to humans. We yeah, got a I think new the last one you said there's the one vaccine or the um, correlation that the lung cancer or something was related to humans. So, right. like, if you can start doing injections for dogs, mm-hmm. imagine yeah, the diabetes what testing. Yeah, yeah. Like, and we can start getting it for people. Well, and a lot of things, you know, the, the hip replacement started in dogs. Yeah. They were the first ones to get it. People hip replacements can thank dogs for that. So you're walking on your artificial hip, that's for them. Um, this is something that is being asked for us to disseminate this news by the USDA. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a recall on all performance dog raw pro- frozen pet foods. Um, there are samples that have tested positive for salmonella and listeria. Yeah. So that's the performance dog brand of the raw frozen pet food. So if you have this, it's important that you just safely discard these things and clean the areas where they were stored. Mm-hmm. If you have it in your own freezer, you could potentially contaminate the foods that they came in contact with because it can be on the packaging as well as the inside. Mm-hmm. Now, this company, this is, I think, the second time they've had a recall for Salmonella. They had a recall in 2018 as well, and that was also the performance dog. And then in 2016, one of the inspections showed that some of their horse meat, and they still feed dogs horse, horse meat, meat, was contaminated with pentobarbital and phenytoin, huh. which is what they use to euthanize animals. Yeah. So they were using animals that are being euthanized, not uh, slaughtered, which is not supposed to be happening. No. Because you don't want your animal eating basically an anesthetic in their in their food. That's going to make them sick it's and cause very, problems. Yeah. So once again, it's the performance dog, raw frozen pet foods. If you have those, get rid of them. If you have any questions, contact your vet or uh, check yeah. out on the, the USDA website. They have the information there. Okay. 
Now we're moving on to our case of the week. This is, it's always fun trying to figure out what we're going to talk about in case of the week. <laughs> mm-hmm. And when I saw Ariel come in this week, I said, oh, Ariel's got to be your case of the week. Yes, fun case. Ariel is a little boy kitten about a year and a half of age. Mm-hmm. And usually when we see kittens when they're a year of age, when they're in their first checkup, their teeth look bright, beautiful. great. Beautiful. They're yes. beautiful. His teeth, his gums were very raw and red. He was actually boarding with us for mm-hmm. a while. Yep, they actually started bleeding. Yeah. Um, so we were seeing like little pink uh, water and like ramming of his bowl. Mm-hmm. And we were just like, what's wrong with your food bowl? What did you get into? It was his gums. They were bleeding. They were so inflamed. And this mm-hmm. is a condition called stomatitis that affects cats. Yeah. It can show up in very young cats. Mm-hmm. We gave him some um, anti-inflammatory medication. That helped a lot. But there was still a lot of redness around some of his teeth. Mm-hmm. So we had him come in for dental cleaning. And then what we found was there was a number of teeth that had just very bad periodontal infections around them. Um, mm-hmm. His upper back molars were in just really bad shape. They came out pretty easily. In fact... The inside roots were totally exposed. Right. It was like the gum had just been eaten oh, away. And then some of his incisors and some of the little molars. But a number of his teeth were actually in very good shape. Okay. Uh, there was no inflammation around the roots of those teeth. So we left those in. But it's not unusual for us to have these cases where no. we'll do a total mouth extraction. We'll mm-hmm. pull every cat tooth in that cat's mouth because they're having a reaction to the plaque that's building up on the enamel of the teeth. So unless you're keeping those teeth spotless clean, brushing them two, three times a day, yeah, treating them with antibiotics or anti-infectives uh, on the gums, you're not going to get this to cure. And putting it off uh, a full mouth of an animal has all the teeth affected does not help them at all. In fact, no. it can actually cause them not to have a good response. Mm-hmm. About, I think they said 90 to 95% of the cats respond well to full mouth extraction. There's a small percentage that don't. They don't know exactly what causes it. They think there might be an ongoing infection with Khaleesi virus or rhinotracheitis virus in the mouth that's causing this. Again, we talked about vaccinating your kittens. Get them vaccinated when they're young so they don't get exposed to these diseases. They're very common in the environment. And this is one of the bad side effects that can happen. Mm-hmm. Apart from the upper chronic upper respiratory infections, and this is worse. Unfortunately, we've been seeing a lot of stomatitis cats yeah. recently. Well, hopefully, Ariel, we're going to check him again in six months. We'll see how the rest of the teeth are doing. He's actually coming in tomorrow. Yeah, he's coming yeah. in to see how to things see are how going. Doing. But um, what we're going to do is, if he's getting more teeth infected in six months, we'll have to go ahead with the full mouth extraction at that point. Oh. But if we, the owners, follow up with the topical treatments and stuff, we can maybe save the teeth that he has left. So if you go to the vet and your vet says your your cat has stomatitis and they want to pull all the teeth, say yes. Yes. Okay, it's scary. It sounds mm-hmm. horrible. But they're going to be in much less pain. Mm-hmm. They'll be much more comfortable. Cats can eat just fine without their teeth. Yes, they don't need them all. We have cats that have no teeth that eat dry food. They just swallow it down whole. Yep. They don't have to eat can. You'd be surprised how much cats don't really chew anyway. Yeah. They just swallow their food whole. My cats have all their teeth, and they, they still puke up whole pieces of food. Mm-hmm. So so just, um, you know, it is it can be a serious disease. The treatment is very effective in most cats. So if you want them to be pain-free, and they're not going to tell you they're in pain. Yeah. You know, we only knew he had a problem because of the blood in his bowl. Yeah. So, um, and then when you're going for your vet, your annual exam, make sure the vet's looking in their mouth. Yeah. If they can't look in their mouth because the animal is too painful, then get them scheduled for a cleaning under anesthesia so they can do a good yeah, exam. There. Yeah. All right. Uh, the next thing is tech tips. Yep. And this is something that um, I wanted to bring up because I had a couple people ask me this question this week, and I go, I don't know. <laughs> Talk to Brittany. She probably knows. Yep. And they're asking me about prong collars for mm-hmm. using in dogs. So and these kind of look kind of like these very... Um, 
medieval torture devices that you put in your dog's necks. Yeah. But I'm, I assume they've got some really good uses, so I wanted you to yeah. talk about that. We have a lot of people who think prong collars are just, like, the worst thing in the world. They're not for some dogs. That's the only thing that works. Um, when you're using a prong collar, we have a lot of owners who don't use it effectively, which can be, you know, just painful and not work good for the pet. Um, when you're wearing a prong collar, you want to be able to fix it on their neck where it is still loose enough where when your dog is sitting with you or relaxing, that they're, it's still not jabbing into their neck. It's okay. sitting relaxed. It's sitting comfortably. You can get a few fingers in and it's loose. They have a chain around it as well that you buckle uh, the mm-hmm. leash to. And that's the part that relaxes. So it should be as loose as, you know, your dog's regular collar. You should only have the prong collar on when your dog is walking. It shouldn't be worn 24-7. And when you are wearing it, most owners think that it goes down the thick part of the neck. That's not effective at all. This is why some dogs still pull. This is why some of them start coughing or hacking. It needs to go up higher right behind the head. Okay. That's the area where it's going to be effective, and that's the area where you're going to get your dog from um, pulling. And it's it's less painful for them that way, too, because just a slight pull, and that stops them from... It's not poking holes in them. You don't see no, them not at all. No, not those. at all. And they have prongs where they have like r- little rubber bits on it. Okay. So not every prong it's is the like pressure that's doing it. Not exactly, the, not it's the, the pressure. It's kind of the same thing as like some people with the harnesses. Okay. When that dog feels that slight pressure, that's enough to keep the pet from wanting to pull or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it works better for certain breeds. Like you have huskies, malamute, things like that. You put a harness on it, they think they're going to work. And they don't work for them. So sometimes a prong is best (laughs) for them. Right. Um, But the thing that we usually see is that we have owners that have prongs that are way too big. And so it's just sitting around their neck. And when they go to pull the dog, the prongs meet each other. And they never actually touch the dog. Mm -hmm. So will the people in the pet store be able to fit them for a collar or should... Um, you can go to the pet store and you can have them fit for a collar. Um, usually when you're getting them fit, you want them to be, uh, you can have them a few sizes bigger. Okay. Um, so like if you size your dog's neck, so if you have a dog with a 18 size neck, you want to go for a prong size 20 or 22. Um, what most people don't realize with prong collars is you can re- actually remove some of the teeth out of it you can adjust the length um so you can actually because i use a prong for my dog and perfect size for him is a size medium but lengthwise it was too big for him it literally just met when we had to go on a walk mm-hmm. i had to take out five prongs to meet in the middle uh-huh. and now it fits him perfectly um and that's fine you know and as he gets older i can add a few more prongs as he gets bigger and bigger so he can have the same prong you know, through life. Yeah. Um, but these prongs are not horrible. Um, my dogs, they actually get more excited when they see the prong mm-hmm. than when they see their actual collars. And that's because they know they see the prong and they're going for a ride or outside for walks or something. So it, it's not bad for them. They got trained on it. They walk great. It is not a painful experience. Mm-hmm. You know, you still use positive reinforcement with it. Okay. Um, but as long as you use it right, and again, you don't leave it on your pet 24-7, Prong collars are not bad for them. Is this something that they can then stop using after a period of time? Or once they start using prong collars, you recommend using it Um, every time they go for a walk? You know, some dogs can stop using it. Um, It it all depends on the owner's training with the pet. Okay. Um, If you have a dog who's only used to prong collars, and as soon as you take them off, they're like, this is my freedom, I'm going for it. You may have to continue using that prong collar. Um, You have some that... Uh, my old Dobie, I took the prong collar off 
and walked him on a leash, he did fine. He used to be a dog that would drag three people down the block, mm-hmm. put a prong collar on it. He actually learned to walk and, you know, be a nice, respectable dog. Okay. Once we took the prong collar off again, he was still nice and respectable. And the first time I did it, it blew me away because I was like, he's the worst dog ever for walks. He became the best. But, but there are some dogs that the prong collar is probably going to be the best way yes. to go in for, yes. for the rest of their lives mm-hmm. and just keep going. And then they do Makes have... Them look tough um, too. Fur-friendly ones, too, because oh. some people worry that the prongs is going to get in their fur. Right. They have um, ones that actually just come through the fur without pulling out n- chunks of fur and things like that. So they have different prongs for different breeds and right. for different situations. Um, mm-hmm. So the biggest thing is just look into information, just like everything for your pet. Right. You have to look into what their situation is, what size they are, what kind of coat they have, how strong they are. And don't just go for the biggest, baddest prong because you think you have the biggest, baddest dog. It's not going to work. Right. So, I mean, if you're interested in using the prong collar, want to find mm-hmm. out, ask your vet. Or if you're asking me, I'll ask my technician. Yep. Or they're probably going to have somebody there who has had a lot of experience with it. And they can give you um, mm-hmm. the best way to size and fit it. Like I said, the people in the pet stores probably They can help size you. Or if you can go them. to your clinic, some, owner, um, some people there wouldn't mind fitting it for you. I did yeah. that the other day. Took a few prongs out for a dog. To right. fit the prong right. They asked me if they had it on right, and I said, you know, I don't know, but I know somebody who does. <laughs> okay. Um, next time, we're going to be talking about external parasite prevention. So we're kind of rounding out the preventative side here. Um, so that's fleas and ticks. Um, they're also These products are also good at treating some other types of uh, external parasites like mange and uh, skin mice, things like that. So we'll go in a little bit more depth on that. That's it for this week. I'm Dr. Jim Mosek. I'm Brittany. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to The Pet Factor with Tiger Jim Hosek and Brittany Reed.